This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 123rd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're going to Utah, to Salt Lake City. I believe this is the first time we've ever been here. And we're going to check out the Capitol Theater. This was suggested to us by our listener, Sue Story. And we got research assistance from Ren Davenport. Denise, this is one of those locations that we don't have a whole lot of history behind the actual building. So we're going to go down some rabbit holes because otherwise we'd be giving you a 10 minute episode, which wouldn't be much fun for you guys. And one of the interesting rabbit holes that I wanted to go down, Denise, is what is one of the things that Salt Lake City is really known for? Besides the Great Salt Lake, they're known for the religion of, or for the Mormon religion. That's correct. And so I thought it might be kind of interesting to explore some of the beliefs that Mormons have when it comes to ghosts, because I was not real familiar with that. It's going to be a generalization. It's not that every Mormon believes this way, just like all Christians don't believe the same way, all pagans don't believe the same way, at least what the church teaches about ghosts. We'll put it that way. We'd love to have you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We do want to let you guys know it's a little early. October isn't quite here yet, but we're already planning for it. We have our second anniversary. We will have been doing the podcast for two years on October 1st, and we thought that it would be fun if we ran a writing contest. That would be really fun for all of you writers out there. So here's how it's going to go. This is a listener flash fiction contest. The word limit is a thousand words. If you go a little bit over it, that's fine. It has to be scary, creepy, some kind of along the horror lines, sci-fi, that kind of thing, but a creepy sci-fi. But keep it within the realm of a lower R rating. Keep in mind that we don't like to do a lot of gratuitous cursing and, you know, sex and gore and all that stuff. So kind of keep it something that you wouldn't mind your teenagers reading. 
We're going to have three prizes, first, second, and third. You're going to get a medal. And then we have different logo gear at each of those levels as well. All three of those finalists will be read on air for the anniversary show. And then if we have a little extra time, if we have some runner-ups, we'll try to get those in there too. But we thought that'd be a fun way to celebrate our anniversary this year. Absolutely. So just get that done. The limit will be midnight Eastern time on August 27th. So make sure you get them into us by then. And you can just email them to us at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Also, we are doing a last minute trip to Savannah, Georgia. We're going to be there this weekend, which is May 14th and 15th of 2016. We are going to be doing a ghost tour with Blue Orb Tours on Saturday, May 14th at 9 p.m. It's the Savannah Shadows Tour. So if you want to join us for that, make sure you go over to their website, Blue Orb Tours, and book the 9 p.m. Savannah Shadows Tour, and then let us know that you're going to be there, and we will meet up with you. It'll be lots of fun. That would be a lot of fun. We love meeting our listeners. And we did get a message on our fan page from Maddie Keenan. Hi, guys. Just wanted to send a quick message. A friend recently referred me to your show, and now I'm addicted. I am a scientist, and I spend most of my day and night in the lab. I'm a bit of a spook, and sometimes when listening to your podcast, I get so enveloped into the stories that if someone approaches me while listening to your podcast, I get a bit of a fright and end up making an idiot of myself by screaming and jumping. Can I just say I'd love to get live video of that? Oh, that would be really good. (laughs) Keep up the fantastic work. If you're ever in Australia, there's always a spot at my dinner table for you too. Love you guys. And I will definitely take her up on that offer forever and or not if when we make our trip to Australia. Exactly. I told her it's on our bucket list, so we'll we'll be showing up sometime. Kat sent us an email. She's been listening to some of our older podcasts, and this goes back to when we were doing the road trip to Louisville. And we had talked about Waverly Hill Sanitarium, Denise. And she just wanted to give us a little correction about that. She said, hi, guys, I've been catching up on old shows. And I just listened to your Louisville road trip episode. I know it's a year old and you may have already heard from listeners, but I do have one small correction. When you were talking about Waverly Hills, you mentioned a nurse had committed suicide. And you said she'd either hung herself or thrown herself out of the window. Actually, both happened. Two different nurses committed suicide in that room. The first one was a nurse that was pregnant by a doctor at Waverly and she hung herself. And then years later, a different nurse jumped to her death. I think it makes it even creepier that two different nurses were drawn to the same room to end their lives. I really enjoy your show and I look forward to catching up on all of your older episodes. So thank you for that correction, Kat. And I, when I think back to it, I think when I was researching it, I had read both of those. And in my mind, I didn't think it was possible that there would be the same room that would have these two nurses commit suicide in it. It just seemed kind of, that's weird. So I think I just went, huh, I wonder if somebody got something wrong and they just don't know. I'm seeing that she hung herself and I'm also seeing that she threw herself out the window. So I don't know which it is where it actually was two different nurses. So that does make it creepier way creepier that really adds more of the creep factor so thank you so much for for giving us that update we heard from Delo long i found your show by accident and have been binge listening ever since and we had another person tell us that they had stumbled across the show denise so these people having accidents and stumbling across our show i hope nobody's getting hurt no not like your lovely host diane <laughs> who that's become her new thing now i love history and the paranormal to have them both in one is awesome Your banter back and forth is delightful. Keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to much more spectacular shows. We also have Justin Jones. He sent us a message. Hi, ladies. Been binge listening while at work for the past week. Just started getting into podcasts. I love the awesome blend of history and horror you bring to the table and uh, just told us to keep up the awesomeness. So thanks for tuning in while you're working, Justin. And Liz sent us an email. 
She suggested a location in Tennessee, the University of the South. And she says, really enjoy your podcast. I live in Iowa now, but consider Tennessee my home. And when she was living in Tennessee, she literally found a marker for a Confederate mass grave in her backyard when she was 13. Don't worry, we called the Historical Society. And she said that they came to find that there were 10 soldiers buried in that grave. And they had a few things that went bump in their home, probably because of that. Oh, wow. That would be very creepy to just be out playing in your backyard. And then it's like, huh, what's this? And find out 10 bodies are buried back there. And finally, all of you podcast listeners out there always looking for something new, I found another podcast for you guys to check out. They had listened to our Whaley House, which was the last episode, and it left a message. And I went, Entwined Podcast. Huh, I've never heard of that before. Let me go see what that's about. Brand new podcast. I tuned into it. Great production. And what's interesting about it is they take things that you wouldn't normally think go together, but they actually are entwined in some way. And they kind of detail it as it's a really nice, it's kind of a storytelling, but it's real history and unique. So I'm recommending it to our listeners. So check it out. It's called Entwined Podcast. And then we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Heather. Hey, Heather. Bale. Hi, Bale. Juan. Hey, Juan. Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Kate. Hey, Kate. Lisa Ann. Hey, Lisa Ann. Mary. Hi, Mary. Evan. Hello, Evan. And Tracy. Hey, Tracy. All right, let's go to Salt Lake City. All righty. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. The Moment in Oddity is by Bob Sherfield. In 1942, the U.S. War Department was suffering heavy losses in the North Atlantic. They needed an aircraft that would be able to cross the ocean while carrying a large payload. Henry J. Kaiser, a shipbuilder, teamed up with the famed aircraft designer, filmmaker, business tycoon, and billionaire Howard Hughes to design what would, at the time, be the world's largest aircraft. The aircraft would need to be made from non-metallic materials and be able to carry a cargo that would consist of two Sherman tanks or 750 fully equipped troops. Many designs for the aircraft were considered, including twin and single-hull designs, and four six- and eight-wing mounted engine combinations. The final plans called for the plane to be made from wood. Despite the initial contract being for the construction of three aircraft within two years, issues with materials combined with Hughes' insistence on perfection delayed construction of the first plane for 16 months. These problems eventually led to Kaiser withdrawing from the project. The order was revised to just one plane and Hughes focused on that, eventually completing the H-4 Hercules, nicknamed the Spruce Goose, sometime after the war had drawn to a conclusion. Constructed at the Hughes Aircraft Company, the huge aircraft was transported in sections to Pier E in Long Beach, where the sections were assembled and readied for launch. Called before a Senate War Investigation Committee in 1947 to explain the use of government funds in constructing the aircraft, which cost in the region of $2.5 million, Hughes is quoted as saying, The Hercules was a monumental undertaking. 
It is the largest aircraft ever built. It is over five stories tall with a wingspan longer than a football field. That's more than a city block. Now, I put the sweat of my life into this thing. I have my reputation all rolled up in it, and I have stated several times that if it's a failure, I'll probably leave this country and never come back. And I mean it. On November 2nd, 1947, the Spruce Goose would take its first and only flight with a crew of 22 and 16 invited guests on board. The aircraft performed two taxi runs and then during its third and final test run of the day, the H-4 finally left the water, traveling for around one mile at a height of 70 feet above the water and at a speed of 135 miles per hour. The H-4 returned to its hangar, where it would be maintained by a crew of 300 full-time workers for the next 15 years, and then 50 staff from 1962 until Hugh's death in 1976. The Spruce Goose changed hands several times between 1980 and the present day, including a period when Disney planned to make it a centerpiece of their now-abandoned Port Disney Resort. The fact that so much time and money went into building a wooden plane that would only be flown once and is still treated with tender loving care to this day certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? This Day in History This Day in History by Jessica Bell On this day, May 9th in 1844, Belle Boyd, American actress and Confederate spy during the Civil War, was born. Belle was born in Martinsburg, Virginia, to a prosperous family with strong southern ties. During the Civil War, her father was a soldier in the Stonewall Brigade, and at least three other members of her family were convicted of being Confederate spies. In 1861, federal troops occupied Martinsburg, and on July 4th, Bell shot and killed a drunken Union soldier. According to her memoirs, the soldier, quote, addressed my mother and myself in language as offensive as it is possible to conceive, and I could stand it no longer. We ladies were obliged to go armed in order to protect ourselves as best we might from insult and outrage, end quote. Bell faced no punishment for this murder, and at age 17, she began her career as a rebel spy. At first, Bell started out as an informal spy, gathering what information she could. Her talents as a flirt helped her extract information from Union soldiers, and she wrote down her discoveries in letters that she got to the Confederate side. By the time she was 18, word of her identity and activities became widely circulated, and Belle found herself something of a celebrity. The press latched down to her story, calling her the Cleopatra of the Secession, La Belle Rebelle, the Siren of the Shenandoah, and the Rebel Joan of Arc. Her high profile soon led to her imprisonment, but due to her age, she was only held a week and continued her espionage work upon her release. Due to her espionage activities, Belle Boyd was placed under arrest six times, thrown in prison three times, and exiled twice. Belle lived out the rest of the war in London, England, with the hopes that she would be able to continue her rebel work. After the death of her husband, she began acting and wrote her memoirs in order to make money. Later, she traveled all over the U.S. giving dramatic speeches detailing her experiences as a Confederate spy. 
Belle died in what is now Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin, in 1900, while she was there to perform for a gathering of Union veterans. from victoriaslift.com When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring. It's terrifying. The past remains with us and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. Theaters have always shared a special place in history. We crave to be entertained, and many of us desire to entertain. Theaters are a place of strong emotions, both those played out by the actors and those evoked in the audience. Paranormal activity feeds off those kinds of emotions. The Capitol Theater was built in the center of Salt Lake City and has entertained Utahns for more than 100 years. Tragedy has been part of the Capitol Theater's history as well, and that has helped add to the theater's reputation as being a haunted location. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Capitol Theater. The Salt Lake Valley was originally home to the Paiute, Shoshone, and Ute tribes. The first U.S. explorer credited with coming to the area was Jim Bridger in 1825. Army officer John C. Fremont surveyed the Salt Lake Valley in 1843 and 1845, and the infamous Donner Party would also come through the area in 1846. The first permanent settlers would be Mormons, who arrived in 1847, and this would become their domain. Construction began on the Salt Lake Temple in 1853, which is a well-known landmark worldwide today, and I believe I read somewhere, Denise, that it took them 40 years to complete that. Oh, really? I didn't know how long it took to complete it, but I've been in it. Well, I haven't been in the temple. I've been to the visitor center, and it's quite a large building. It's magnificent. It really is. When I've seen pictures of it, I've never actually, I don't think, I think I've been in Salt Lake City in the airport, and that's been about it. The Mormons wanted to call their settlement Deseret, but the U.S. government would not allow it and instead referred to it as the Utah Territory and appointed Fillmore as the capital. In 1858, Great Salt Lake City replaced Fillmore as the capital, and later the name was shortened to Salt Lake City. It would soon become one of the most populous cities in the West. And fun fact, I've actually floated in the Great Salt Lake. Oh, really? So you can just lay there and you just float on it because it's got it, so much salt? Mm-hmm. It's got a lot, a whole bunch of salt, so you're, you're more buoyant in the Great Salt Lake. And then the other cool kind of fun thing is that my mom would never let us buy those little packages of sea monkeys, and I always wanted them because I love <laughs> animals. And I'm like, please, please. And uh-huh. finally my brother said, they're just brine shrimp, dummy. And so we actually would catch them at the Great Salt Lake and bring them home. So I still got my sea monkeys. Oh, and you didn't have to order them out of the back of a comic no, book. so mine didn't get to hatch. You know, I didn't know until I was an adult that they were brine shrimp, and I was so disappointed when my mother would never let me send for those things because the cartoon made them look like they were so cool. Yes. And when you call them sea monkeys, you think you're going to get these little monkeys that are in the water. Yeah, of course, that could add a whole creep factor in itself if you think about the monkeys from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Yeah. But just ones with fins instead (laughs) of wings. Yeah, that is a nightmare. Don't want to think about that too hard. So there you go. Story for our contest, if anybody wants to run with it. (laughs) The killer sea monkeys. You're welcome. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. G. Albert Landsberg was born in 1876. He was an American architect trained in both America and Paris. He launched his career in San Francisco shortly after both the devastating earthquake and fire that nearly destroyed the city. He designed numerous buildings for the city, and one of those was a theater for the Orpheum Theater Circuit that was based in San Francisco. Gustav Walter was a vaudeville actor who founded the Orpheum Opera House in San Francisco. Orpheum theaters were known for featuring vaudeville acts throughout the country. Orpheum would eventually become RKO. Landsberg went on from that first theater design to design 50 more theaters, and he became famous for that kind of architecture. One of those theaters was the Orpheum Theater in Salt Lake City. Construction of that theater, the Orpheum Theater in Salt Lake City, was completed in 1913. It was built in the style of Italian Renaissance. Renaissance is known for emphasizing proportion and symmetry. Arches, domes, and niches are key traits of the style. The base of the theater has six columns in front, all curving into arches, and all of the windows have arching peaks. The building is in a very boxy shape, similar to the Doge's Palace in Venice, Italy. When I looked at a picture of the Capitol Theater, Denise, I immediately thought Doge's Palace. It just has that kind of squared where it has the arches on the bottom, and then at the top you have the windows, and it's just a very blocky building with like a kind of design on that top area, and it just that's what it reminded me of. The ceiling is a work of art. The theater had all the current updates of the time, including fireproofing, air conditioning, and earthquake damage prevention. A newspaper reporter wrote of the theater that it was, quote, rich and restful without vulgar or gaudy display, end quote. And the Deseret Evening News stated in an article about the theater's opening, quote, in point of architecture, appointment, size, and all the latest improvements, Salt Lake can now truthfully boast of having one of the finest theaters in America, end quote. The theater featured vaudeville acts and played silent movies starting in 1923. In 1927, the Capitol Theater Group took over and it was renamed the Capitol Theater. In 1929, sound motion pictures, or talkies, took the place of the silent films at the theater. You know what's really neat about that is that you wouldn't think that one of the finest theaters in the entire country would be out west. You think that would be more in the east where it was more settled, like New York City and all Mm -hmm. of that, rather than out west, which was still kind of, they looked at it a little bit as the wild, wild west still in the 1800s, early 1900s. So Exactly. The Capitol continued to be privately owned until the city bought the theater in 1976 and restored much of it back to its original look. Today, the theater features many Broadway touring productions and has a very strong ballet program in conjunction with the Ballet West Company, which renovated the theater in 2013, adding the Jesse Eccles Quinney Center for Dance. Productions and stars that have been featured at that theater are Evening Shades, starring Mary Lou Henner, Sweet Charity, starring Molly Ringwald, Annie Get Your Gun with Tom Wopat of Dukes of Hazard, and The Drowsy Chaperone with Jonathan Crombie, Gilbert Blythe from CBC's Televisions and of Green Gables. Which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yes, it is. She sat me down and had me watch both sets mm-hmm. of C- Anna Green Gables DVDs. and Anne of Avonlea. Yes, and they were good. 
Now, we're going to talk about a fire that occurred here, but folks, between Ren and I, that was all the history, and believe me, we had to dig to even get that. I was searching through tons of newspaper articles that were talking about renovations that they were doing, hoping that they would talk about some of the old history, yeah. and that was it. So oh. there is not a lot out there. No, and along with their disappointment, I was so disappointed all that digging, and she found no gold either. <laughs> no jewels. No jewels. Tragedy knows this spot well. Before the Capitol Theater was built here, there stood the old Walker Opera House. It was burned completely on July 4th, 1890. In a weird twist of fate or in an odd coincidence, and since I don't believe in coincidences, I'd say synchronicity, on July 4th, 1949, a fire broke out in the basement of the Capitol Theater. 600 patrons managed to escape the blaze, but unfortunately one young usher did not. Richard Duffin was 17 when he died because of smoke inhalation during the fire. He and two other employees were fleeing after trying to put out the fire. Duffin tripped in the basement and his body was saved by a daring retrieval made by Fire Captain William A. Lim. Duffin had only been employed by the theater for three weeks. No cause for the fire could be found. One of the reported hauntings features Richard Duffin. He reportedly moves lights, unplugs extension cords, slams doors, and moves the elevator up and down. Probably the most famous experience involving Duffin occurred to officers Dave Murphy and Morgan Matthews. Their accounts were featured on the TV show Paranormal Witness that aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. Officer Murphy was hired to be a protective officer for the Capitol Theater under the supervision of Officer Matthews. On his first training shift, he experienced slamming doors when no one was around, lights that would turn on seemingly on their own, and doors that he knew that he had locked flung open even though he was the only one around with keys to the doors. On another night, Officer Matthews heard whispering voices behind him, and when he turned around, there was no one there. He checked the building and could find no one, but when he got closer to the basement, he smelled smoke. He investigated the basement and the rest of the building, and there was no fire anywhere. So here's those paranormal smells. Weeks later, Officer Matthews overheard the theater's accountant, Blair Fuller, talking about his experience with the elevators going up and down on their own late at night when he'd been working in the building alone. The accountant also had his filing cabinet doors open and close on their own. The officers decided to bring in a friend of theirs that had the ability to see things to try to discern what was going on at the theater. Their friend knew nothing of the theater before entering the building, and the officers brought him in under the pretense of giving him a tour. As soon as their friend walked in the building, he asked them if they knew the building was haunted. They went down to the basement where the friend and the officers again smelled smoke, and the friend saw a young man standing in the corner. The officers could not see the young man. The activity in the theater began to increase after the sensitive had left. So it makes you wonder, did he kind of wake up the spirit there? That all of a sudden he's like, wait, somebody can see me? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it does sound like the young man that had died there. Officer Matthews purchased an infrared monitor. One night he used the monitor in the theater and picked up a figure sitting in one of the theater chairs as if they were watching a show. The figure suddenly swooped in at Matthews quickly and snarled. He decided at that point that he wanted to be reassigned to a different building. I think I would have been reassigned right along with him if I weren't there. <laughs> I'm with you, officer. I would. Something snarls at me. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Unless it's Tiana. Officer Murphy soon did the same. Murphy was guarding the theater by himself and heard ragtime music coming from the theater. He went in to investigate and found the piano had its lid down and it was not a player piano that can play on its own. He also claimed that a woman dressed in clothing from the early 1900s walked right past him while he sat in the control room. 
Murphy described some of his experiences as being menacing. He reported, quote, Toward the end, they wanted me out of that building for whatever reason, end quote. A shadow person attacked him, and he described it by saying, quote, It felt like I just got a punch in the chest. Literally, I could not talk. Whatever it was, it had the power to shut me up, end quote. He requested a transfer after the incident. Officer Murphy sought to find out what he could about the source of the hauntings. He reached out to former stagehand Doug Morgan, who had worked at the theater during 1949. Morgan told him the story of the fire and of the tragic death of the young usher, Richard Duffin. Which makes you wonder, is this Richard Duffin who's doing this and he's angry and that's why he's attacking these people? Because it definitely seems to be a menacing spirit, whatever it is. It's physically attacking and snarling. Yeah, which I don't know. I mean, just from other hauntings that we've researched and talked about, the circumstances around his death doesn't seem like it would leave him very angry because he just, somebody tried to save him. They tried to rescue him. It's just, you know, he was there in the fire. So it wasn't like, I don't know, something to cause that. So to me, it almost seems like it might be demonic or something. It is weird because his body was pulled from the theater. So it wasn't like his body was lost to the fire or anything like that. So who knows? It's, you know, another one of those things we ask ourselves why. You know, the officer wanted to figure out why there was a haunting going on here. I don't know that he really got any answers to it, even knowing this story. At least gives you some kind of a background, but I don't know. Mark Lewis, who produced the episode of Paranormal Witness, advises Capitol Theater patrons to quote, Let me give you some tips. Stay away from the men's room on the third floor. Don't go down to the basement, and whatever you do, don't get on an elevator, end quote. So do you know exactly what the patrons do? They run straight <laughs> to the men's bathroom, they go down into the basement, and they ride the elevator as long as they can, up and down, up and down. Exactly. Well, on a side note, we thought it would be interesting to explore the basic thoughts on the paranormal within the Mormon religion. And from what we were able to find, it seems like it parallels much of what Christendom believes. If we have some Mormon listeners out there, we'd love to hear from you guys some of your personal thoughts when it comes to the spiritual afterlife and ghosts and that kind of thing, and maybe update us on a little bit of this. But from what we were able to find out, they basically believe that these are disembodied evil spirits and that some are more mischievous than others. So this is kind of along the lines when you have a lot of Christians who just say that anything that is of that kind of ghost haunting, it's all demonic. It's kind of that same belief. Now, Mormons are a little bit different than other Christians because they believe in a pre-mortal life. So they believe that your spirit existed before you were here on earth. And because of that, you're waiting to be born. When a righteous person dies, their spirit is disembodied for a while, but they do not participate in hauntings. That is only for evil spirits. They believe that righteous spirits can make appearances if they are doing something for God, like bringing a message. But again, they're not scary, they're not dark, and they do not haunt. Then the thing that's really interesting is that if it is an evil spirit, the LDS Church or the Mormon Church believes that only men and only those over the age of 18 can actually get rid of them. So it's a little bit better than the Catholic Church, which just believes that only certain kinds of priests can be exorcists and exorcise demons. So it's a step above that, but I just, yeah, so I guess women can't exorcise evil spirits in the Mormon church. The way I've always believed it, anyone has the power over evil spirits to tell them to get lost. And uh, especially in the world of Christianity, you definitely have the authority to tell them to get lost. Doesn't matter how old you are or what gender you may be. 
So that's interesting to hear that they kind of come down on the same side as a lot of uh, the Christian churches out there, that they just would rather consider that hauntings are just evil and that they're playing tricks or that it really is something that's mischievous or malicious. But we have so many experiences that we've had that I just, if you're an evil spirit, why would you waste your time locking and unlocking doors? Well, you know, I think a lot of that is human nature, especially in the very religious communities, regardless of what the religion is, that if it's something they don't understand, rather than try to seek understanding, they just label it as evil and go off on their own way. Now, I have a feeling that the church probably teaches them not to tempt the spirits, Denise. Well, I teach them to not tempt the spirits, (laughs) and I'm not the Mormon church, so. And speaking of tempting the spirits, I noticed a certain particular new shirt on the Emporium (laughs) Uh that I think, if I'm not mistaken, very boldly says, hashtag spirit tempter. Hmm, I wonder where that came from. Well, our good friend Patrick Keller over at the Big Seance podcast, I noticed that he's gotten himself a store now and he designed this shirt because he calls, while we have our spectacular crew, he has paranerds. And so he had this shirt that has hashtag paranerd. Uh-huh. So I thought, well, that's a cute idea to do something hashtag. And I went, well, Denise says don't tempt the spirits but probably most of our listeners are spirit tempters. So hashtag spirit tempter. It just makes sense. Yes, because it goes right along with History Goes Bump and the Spectacular crew. It sounds just like that. I have a feeling I'm in the doghouse tonight. Woof. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing, when it comes to the Capitol Theater, when I was looking at some of the area that's around there, is this is a location that most of the hotels and stores that are in this area... It's not really a vortex, but it seems to be a very haunted area because there was a lot of bad history that's gone down in this area, people who've died and things of that nature. It makes me wonder when you're looking at something like the Mormon temple that's been here for all of these years, seeing all the history it has, wonder if it's haunted. I don't know. Could be very interesting. So is it just coincidence that two major fires took place on the same spot on the same date, 59 years apart? Does the young Usher Duffin haunt the theater? Is there something else here as well? Is the Capitol Theater haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, according to Paranormal Witness and those officers, and when people are officers, they put a little bit more belief into what they're saying because it's kind of a risk for them to say things like that. Sounds like something is going on there. Our next episode, we are going to be featuring a battlefield and a particular battle. And this one has a special place in my heart because it was assigned to me and my group. When I was a senior in high school, we had to do something to present to the class, and it was the Battle of Antietam. It was the bloodiest day of battle in the Civil War, and we had a great time making a video about it. And I wish we could find that video so we could show the listeners. I did get to see it because this whole video and presentation was pre-my time. But I did get to see it, and it was cute, where they like had the little green army guys flopping over. And This was suggested to us by our listener, Rebecca Johnson, so we're looking forward to bringing that to you. Civil War is just any time you talk about a battleground area, and this one being as bloody as it was, and there's lots of mass graves involved, lots of hauntings too. We have some reviews to share with everybody. First up, we have five stars from, I'm not sure how to say this, Sayar? C-R, it's S-I-A-R-H. 
wonderful podcast. Was looking for a new podcast to sink my teeth into and was pleased to find one that combines my favorite things, history and the paranormal. I'm also an open-minded skeptic, so their perspectives are right up my alley. Also, this is more like being told scary stories by a couple of good friends than a podcast. Love the host banter as well as adoration for each other. Yes, some of their pronunciations are cringeworthy, but it's part of their charm. Keep up the good work. And you know, Denise, I have come to find that if you don't live in a particular area, you're going to have a hard time pronouncing things. There was a podcast that was talking about a location down here in Florida, and they were talking about Brevard County, and it came out as Brevard. And I was like, no, it's Brevard. And then I started thinking, yep, and that's why when we're talking about places in New England and stuff, we screw it up. Because when you're not from an area, you don't necessarily know how to say something. And that is New England minus New Jersey. Ah, Just kidding, guys. (laughs) Five star from You Lost Me. Interesting. Good show. But why does it take nine minutes into the episode to start the content? Well, I just want to say based on this, and we've had a few other reviews that have said kind of similar things. What I did, Denise, is I went in and actually changed the official description of our show that goes out to all the podcast catchers and stuff so that nobody is caught blindsided by our show, expecting that maybe you're just going to get the topic that you see listed because our show has a lot of different segments and a lot of things that are a part of it. So now people will know exactly what they're getting. That'll probably be good to help curb any confusion about that. Blue Fade 999. Five stars. Awesome. This podcast is horrible. Ah, who am I kidding? This podcast is awesome. I found these ladies in a roundabout way. It was through Bizarre States, but not in the traditional sense. I'd been listening to Bizarre States for a while and thought to myself, there has to be podcasts similar to this awesome one. So I put Bizarre States in the search bar knowing it would give me podcasts similar to them. And poof, the first one that showed up was HGB. I thought history and ghosts, those are two of my favorite things. I was hooked from the first episode. Imagine my surprise when Chobot mentioned them for the first time. Keep up the great work, ladies. Awesome job. Well, thank you, Blue Fade, for that. And we got another five-star review from Canada. Oh, Canada. This is from Craig O. 1977. I wanted to like this podcast that I heard of from Bizarre States, but I love it. I binge listened through the old episodes, and now I have to wait in real time for each new episode. Keep up the great work, ladies. You brighten up the weekend. Well, thanks so much for listening, Crago. And if you guys have not already tuned in to the Lift podcast, episode 13 was by yours truly, Restitution. Please be sure to check that out. I will have a link to it in the show notes. It's a nice little creepy tale featuring Victoria, who you sometimes hear here on our podcast as well. Absolutely. We love Victoria. And yours truly, not me truly, but the other one, Diane wrote an amazing story for the lip. We want to thank you for tuning into this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, James Steele and Shelby Labrie. And thank you to Mink Young Kim for your one-time donation. Thanks. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Ninth Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen, the M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.